West Bowles, good morning. Thank you for being here. We, um, first of all, before I forget, uh, thank you to our worship team and to Brad. And I kind of just want to hear more Bob this morning, to be honest. Uh, thank you to you guys for bringing us worship. And then also, we got two things going on with staff members today you just need to know about, okay? Number one, Kayla, I don't know if she's in here. It is Kayla's birthday today. And so when you see her, wish her happy birthday. And then number two, Graham is less than 24 hours from completing a degree at the School of Mines that I can't even pronounce. And so, well done. (laughs) Kayla, Kayla, well done on your birthday. Graham, on his degree. All right. Well... We are, if it is your first time and you're joining us, whether it's in person or online, thank you for being here. My name is Nathan, if we've never met, and I I have the privilege of being pastor here at this church. Um, And what we're talking about um, between last week and Christmas is this idea, unto you. And those two words actually come out of that great promise of God that we find in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. He says, unto you... A Savior is born. This day, a Savior is born. Now, when we approach Christmas, you know, you know what we often do? At least I've noticed this even with me as I look back over my life, is I'd approach December, and I'm looking for all the signs of unto you. And, and what happens is I go to a very idealistic place. You know, I just want everything to work out. I want everything to be perfect. And what happens is as life goes on, I mean, I remember the ideal Christmas as a kid. But as life goes on, as we all are discovering is stuff becomes not so ideal, right? And if you were to look back across the Old Testament before Jesus was ever born, before we ever encounter him, the the earthly Jesus in, in the New Testament, what you'd find is that God has been echoing and repeating and saying over and over and over again, unto you a Savior is born, unto you. And the situations in which he says this are situations we need to pay attention to. Because things weren't perfect, and things weren't ideal. And honestly, even when baby Jesus was born, things were far from ideal, despite what we make it out to be. And so last week, we began to look at the first of a few different things at at Christmas that just can, can weigh on us. And we have to be reminded that in the midst of all that, God said, unto you, a Savior is born. Last week, we looked at the presence of pain and burden in our lives. And we went all the way back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. You know, the the original sin, the fall of creation. And what we found there was in the midst of it, God was was pointing forward. He was saying, look, there's going to be a deliverer. That the message of your pain is not, I'm done with you. The message of your pain is unto you. Even in this, a Savior is born. Now, before I get to this week, let me point you to next week. Next week, we're going to point at one of those things that inevitably comes up during the holidays. You know what it is? conflict. Conflict. So what I need you to do is next week, you're going to find an enemy. You're going to say, look, I know we hate each other. You're going to come to church with me, okay? And then we're going to see what God has to say about that. But today, today we are going to talk about that thing that, that honestly probably creates more strife and probably leads to the conflict at Christmas more than anything else. And it's the disruption of our plans. Because as you look over the prophecies, as God pointed ahead to a Savior— you can find right there in the middle of the Old Testament, in the life of a king that we all have heard the name of, we know very well King David, in the midst of him making some plans. And these weren't like Christmas plans. We'll we'll dive into it here in a minute. But in the midst of him making those plans, 
God's message was unto you. Even in the midst of this, even in the midst of the disruption of your plans, unto you a Savior is born. Now, I probably didn't have to tell you that, right? Because every single person in here knows that that disrupted plans are just part of how it goes. In fact, I've shared this with you before. A lot of times I get to, I have the privilege of sitting down with engaged couples for premarital counseling. Now, there are a few different sessions and we we focus on a few different things, but the, the one session that I feel like I could just set up my camera and I could hit record and it's better than any drama that Hollywood can come up with is this question. What are your holiday plans? What are your holiday plans? Because you may very well know your, your family may have years and years and years of tradition, right? You know, you have a Christmas tradition. You gather on Christmas Eve or at a certain time on Christmas Day, and we're going to do these things. And when somebody is marrying somebody else who's got family traditions that look a little bit different or happen at the same time, what do we got to deal with? Disrupted plans, right? Now, for those of you that are sitting back, this is my favorite part. For those of you that are sitting back and you think, oh, young love, they'll figure it out. Guess what the number one question of engaged couples seems to be about the holidays? Okay, Nathan, we can work through this, but what would you suggest we say to mom? Sometimes it's dad, but usually it's mom, okay? Because we all hold our plans, don't we? And one of the hard things that I even think about with our own kids is we've got these years together as a family, but one day, one day they may find somebody that may change our plans a little bit. Now, the solution is not to just not plan, not make Christmas plans, not make plans in general. And it may be plans that you have, to, you have going on at Christmas, or it may be just this time of year, you tend to look back across your life and you recognize that things just haven't gone the way you planned, right? So the solution isn't to, to stop making plans. See, you can't not do that. It's, it's the very fingerprint of God on you. He wired that into us. But instead, it's how we go about, how we hold, how we carry our plans, as we'll see this morning. And we're in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And here's what's going on. Up to this chapter, King David, the, the throne of King David is being established. And so 2 Samuel chapter 7 is really like a, a big picture look at what God has done with David to put him where he is. But at the, big, the very beginning of it, we see David doing that oh so familiar thing that we do. Take a look. 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 1. It says, after the king was settled in his palace. I mean, it sounds good, right? I mean, this is what we look forward to all week long. And this is what you look forward to your entire career is being settled. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. Now, this is the thing that we just aim for, right? I mean, this is like the epitome. Especially in America, we think, I just want to get to retirement. I just want to be done. I just want to rest. I just want to be settled. You know what we do? We do exactly what David did next. Verse 2. After he settled, after the Lord has given him rest, he said to Nathan, sounds like a good guy. He said to Nathan, the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Now, this ark of God was really an indicator of the presence of God with God's people. And so David's looking around. He's like, I've got it made. And yet the ark of God 
the one that I've been fighting battles for, the one who drew me from the fields as a shepherd, the one who has had his hand on my life. I look at him, and he doesn't have a palace that he resides in. This ark of God, it has nowhere near the cush, the setting that I've got. I mean, I'm, I'm living the life right now, and yet the ark of God, it's surrounded by curtains, and that's it. Well, he goes on. He goes to Nathan. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Again, sounds like good advice from a good guy. I'm a little bit biased, okay? But we're looking at this, and you think, this is exactly what we do, right? We get our plans together. We get our hopes. We get our dreams. We get our desires. We get what we want to happen. And then we go start talking to people left and right. And don't we often look for the people that are going to confirm and affirm what we want? Yeah, because nobody wants to be a buzzkill, right? Nobody wants to be like, uh why don't we wait a second? See, this tendency, this tendency sits very naturally inside of us. Doing for you, if you've got the sermon notes, that first set of blanks, doing for you or doing for God sits very naturally inside of you, right? We've just got this orientation towards doing, 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 right? We live in a culture that says be productive, accomplish the most, work hard, be full of grit, don't stop, don't rest, go, go, go 24-7, bigger, faster, stronger. Let me ask you a question. Have you heard the phrase muscle-bound? Muscle-bound? Muscle-bound is one of those things that they taught us in weightlifting class back in high school, that if you were to do the exact same movement over and over and over again, it would begin to do something to your body. What would happen is your muscles would grow to a point that you would begin to lose freedom of movement. And you become stiff. And, and, and if you do that long enough, there will be movements you used to be able to be free in and flexible in that you can't do anymore. In fact, if you're familiar with the world of bodybuilding, let me, let me show you a picture of the man they refer to as the king. This is, oh, whoa. Sorry, I, I didn't realize we were putting a picture of me up this morning. Um, I mean, it's kind of like looking in the mirror right now. Anyway. This is Ronnie Coleman in, in the Mr. Olympia bodybuilding competitions. He has been referred to as the king because he just has won them over and over and over and over again. And, and as you'd see him on the cover of magazines, if you're into the, the workout scene, and, and people would want to know what his workouts were, what supplements he was taking. Supplements, okay. Um, you know, what all he was putting into his body to accomplish these results. Well, a few years ago, this is a picture from like a decade ago. 2018, a documentary came out on Netflix about Ronnie Coleman. And here's the state of his life right now. He can hardly get up and down the stairs. And as one writer wrote an article about this documentary, their takeaway from this documentary is they watched it. And if you've seen it, you hear him say, I can't stop. I am going to continue doing this until the day I die. The irony is he can move less and less and less. He's muscle bound. See, it's exactly what sits inside of us when we think our relationship with God is solely based on what we can do for him. And so we think, right? I mean, we, we come to church and serving is not a bad thing. We ask you to serve. 
But God knew something about David, and he knows something about you and me. It has to do with the place from which we do things for God. And, and, and it also has to do with where our plan to do things for God sits within the greater whole of God's plan for us. And so God, knowing this about David, God knew something about David and knows something about you and me. That his heart and his soul and your heart and your soul and my heart and my soul, it doesn't want the things that our mind, that our minds come up for our hands to do. Because those things could lead us down a path we never intended to be. And without freedom, without the ability to move. You see it next. Here's how much God cared for the heart of David and how much he cares for our hearts. Verses four and five. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. In other words, Nathan, you made a mistake. No, I know it felt good to say, yeah, good idea. Keep going. Keep going with your plans. But the word of the Lord said to Nathan, no, no, no. There's something else. That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Now just stop on that for a minute. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? See, one of the things that we've got to be able to stop in the midst of making all our plans and ask ourselves is, am I the one? See, the intent can be an absolutely excellent one. It can be absolutely excellent, but in your notes, our plans may not be for our hands. In other words, you might look around, you might think, well, somebody should, somebody should, maybe, maybe I'll fix, maybe I'll care for, maybe I'll run after. And yet here's God saying to David, listen, it may be, it may very well be, you may very well have good intent, but are you the one? Is it, is it designed and intended for your hands? He keeps going. Verse six. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. Did you catch that? This is God saying, I I haven't been in a building. You you think it's in a a building that you encounter me. Good thing we don't have that problem today, right? Yeah, you think that it's just in a building and it's on a Sunday that that's where you encounter me. He says, "I, I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. In other words, David, your wish, your desire may be intense, but here's the truth we have to be reminded of. Our plans may be more want than need. The very plans we carry, whether it's at Christmas or the bigger picture for our lives, it may be more want than need. The relationship, the career path, the dwelling place, whatever it is. It may be more our want than what God actually needs. And finally, he says this, wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built a house, built me a house of cedar? See, David and Nathan, this Nathan, not the prophet Nathan, and church, the purpose may be good. But our plans may be more ours than his. It could very well be my plan, not his plan. And then the conversation changes direction. Look at the beginning of this next verse. Now then, 
tell my servant David. And you get the implication of what's coming. Now then, David, I appreciate the plan. I appreciate what you've brought forward. But we're going to go a different direction. Yes, your intent was good. Your desire is intense. The purpose is sound. But now, we're going to do something else. And you got to know this before we continue through this account. God. God is perfectly willing to break our plans in order to have our hearts. He's willing to derail. He's, re- he's willing to disrupt. He's willing to break down our plans if it means having our hearts. And I think God knew about David. David wouldn't be able to handle the carrying out of his plan. That may very well take him in such a different direction that he just couldn't have it. I mean, I think back, and I've shared with you guys uh, at length about my journey. I, I grew up thinking, I'm going to be a firefighter. I'm just going to be a firefighter from, from like age seven all the way up to 27. I thought, I'm going to be a firefighter. That's it. Fire trucks would go by. I'd be cheering for them. That was younger years, not age 27. But anyway, and so I tested with West Metro, got through the process, and then I got this letter. Still remember her name, Cindy. Cindy with West Metro. We're sorry to inform you that due to budget cuts, we're scrapping our list, our hiring list. I remember, oh, Cindy. I still remember Cindy. I'm still watching for Cindy to come through these doors. But anyway, I'm over it, okay? You want to know who my greatest consolation came from? As I looked at that journey, I just knew in my heart that wasn't my direction. I have a deep admiration for those who, who go into public service, whether it's the medical, law, or fire departments and areas. But my deepest comfort and consolation were the words of those who further down the road from me in life, as they looked back upon their lives, began to talk to me about the things that hadn't worked out and the plans that hadn't, he hadn't seemingly blessed for them. Because you know what they were able to say? The blessing was that it didn't work out, Nathan. They said, I don't know how to describe it to you. It's not going to be like a formula for you to walk through this with. But as I look back, and as I look at what God has done since then, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful it didn't work out. I can't tell you how many Sundays I stand up here, and now I get that statement. Because as I look at a congregation that, that I deeply love, that many of us, you know, we, we, all of us, we walk through life together. I go, I'm so glad that didn't work out. But you could not have told me that when I got Cindy's letter, all right? But God, God is willing to disrupt plans if it means having our heart. And here's why. You see it in the, in the account next As he walks through his plan, you stop and you go, oh my goodness, why would I ever try to get in the way of that? Because here's what David encountered. And here's what you and I encounter. When we're willing to just take our plans and go, God, you know what? It's yours. You get to have this. You experience the characteristics, the promises, the traits of going through life, surrendered to God's plans. Listen to this. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 8. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture 
from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people, Israel. Who's the emphasis there? It's him. David, did you get yourself out of the pasture? No. Did you get yourself onto the throne? No. God did that. Do you want to know the first characteristic of God's plans for us? It's a positioning thing. God looks at our lives and he goes, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not just sovereign in the sense that I created the stars and the heavens and, and all of creation and the earth and the people around you. I'm sovereign in that I can position you exactly where you need to be. There's a positioning piece to it. It keeps going. Verse 9, I've been with you wherever you've gone, and I've cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth. Let me ask you something. Just think about David's life. Those of you who are familiar with his life, what is he known for? I know that's a big question, right? There's 18,000 answers to that. But what are one of those things that just jumps out that he's known for? We've got like a huge, huge book of the Bible. It's a collection, many of which came from David, the Psalms. See, God looked at David. He said, look, you're not going to stack the bricks of the building. You are going to write the songs of the sanctuary. Whoa. Wow. David may have thought, never thought of that. You may never have thought of that. I hadn't thought of that. He was so, so focused on stacking those bricks together. I'm going to build this visible temple. God says, no, no, no. This is not just a positioning thing. This is a purpose thing. That's that second bullet point in your notes. It's a purpose thing. In other words, God knows exactly how he knit you together and me together and King David together. He said, look, more than, more than being a, a carpenter, David, you're a shepherd. In your time as a shepherd, I've shaped your heart so that you would write songs that glorify me. Hmm, there's a purpose piece to it. Keeps going. Verse 10, and verse 10 and the beginning of 11. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Verse 11, wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. You want to know one of the consistent pieces of the character of God is his heart for the poor. And you notice the emphasis in these verses is God's going, listen, David, I'm not just concerned for you. I'm concerned for the people that I'm going to bring you into contact with. And any time, any time we run over people, we oppress people, you know what that is? That's injustice. I know justice is a huge word in our culture right now. But God says, anytime you run over people in order to accomplish my ends, that's an injustice. Even if, it's, even if the intention's good. Even if the purpose is good. God's heart for the poor continues to, to go throughout Scripture. You just see it over and over and over. And so the third characteristic of God's plan for us has to do with people. If you're filling this out, you're noticing it's, all, it's that preacher thing. Where it's all peas, okay? But people. We cannot look at ministry, and if it runs over somebody think that it actually pleases and honors God. It doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. He's got a heart for the poor, and so God's willing to slow it down. He's saying, look, temple need to be built? Maybe. 
But if we're going to go so fast that we run over people, we're not doing it right now. Fourth piece. Excuse me. At the end of verse 11. And I will also give you rest from all your enemies. So here it is again. Here's that word again, rest. You know the fourth characteristic of God's plan for us? Is a posture of rest. See, I think some of the most harmful things Christians have done is we've done these things that in the name of God, we're just at war inside. And our posture towards other people is not peace and it's not at rest. And I know I keep pointing at this, but Jesus said it. He said, come to me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, as you go about what you do, you may do it better than anybody on earth has ever done it. But if I don't have your heart, and then you're not at rest at side, inside, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And finally, finally, this is the prophecy. This is the peace that God said, now we're going to look ahead, David. Now we're going to look ahead. And he's addressing really the concern for, for many parents, to be honest, for many of us. When you have kids, you look at your kids and you think, you know what? I want them to experience all the blessings I've ever experienced, and I don't want them to have to deal with any of the pain. Now, we all look around and we go, that's not possible. But here's what God said to David about that. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Now, for royalty at that time, oftentimes what would happen is when a new king took the throne, there was this process called bloodletting. And everybody from the previous king's regime would go throughout the land and they would rid the land of anybody that was left over from the previous regime. Because assassinations were a real thing. You know, we we read in Nehemiah, he was cupbearer to the king. Why was he cupbearer to the king? Because how do you take out the king? He even poisoned his drink, right? So Nehemiah had that great privilege of you're going to drink it first and we're going to watch what happens to you. This is what would happen when a new king took the throne. So God's given a promise. Beyond your lifetime, David, I'm going to appoint a successor from your lineage. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. Now, there's this thing in the Old Testament when you look at these prophecies called dual fulfillment. Okay, and what we see here is that not only was David, as we look back, not only did David have a son named Solomon that would be an integral part of building that temple, but also God was saying, "It's, it's your offspring like next generation offspring. But then he says this about him. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And so God is, of course, referring to Solomon, but he's also pointing down the road. He's saying, from your lineage, David, your kingship, your kingdom, is secure forever and ever and ever because of one down the road. You know, we read about his iniquity and you think of Solomon, but when we read about his iniquity, we also think of Jesus. Not because he did it, but because he bore ours. And God says to David, even with that iniquity laid upon him, I will not remove my love from him.
he finishes with this. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. That fifth piece is provision, right? We sit in the midst of human need and God looks at us and he says, I'll meet the need. I can provide for that. And what did he say to David? He said, of course, he's pointing ahead unto you. Unto you, unto your kingdom, unto your throne. A savior is born and he is the one who sits on the throne. You arrive at Matthew chapter one and I know many of you, you've read, you read Matthew chapter one and you think it's just a list of names. Well, it is. You know what it is? It's that lineage up to David and through David all the way to Jesus in which God is carrying out exactly what he's saying here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And so the question, the question for us this morning is, as, we, as we wrap up here in just a minute, before we go about our doing for him, have we accepted, have we received his unto you? See, you can, you can go about your plans and it can look great on the outside. But God says, no, I want to give you, I want, I want to establish my throne on the inside. I, I want to give you all the blessings and all the benefit of my plan. In other words, I'm working a plan much greater than any plan you've got for me. He is completely, completely committed to working unto you, into you. And you got to know that. Um, among the memorable Christmas gifts I've gotten through the years. I'm reminded of one that just, it points me back to what God's saying here. I mean, we think about salvation and oftentimes, especially in the American church, you think of salvation as an altar call, right? You say a prayer and then you go to a back room and somebody talks to you about the life of faith and, and then it, it, sometimes it can feel like, well, and then I'm on my own. All the way to the grave, I'm just on my own. But that's not the kind of salvation that God's talking about here when he promised a savior and a Messiah who would sit on the throne forever and ever. There was this gift I got one year, and I don't know if you've ever gotten one of those gifts where you think, okay, what do you see about me that you thought this was a good idea to give me? So I, I opened this huge gift, and I don't know what it weighed. Like a bill, let's just go with a billion pounds anyway, because I look like Ronnie Coleman, remember, so I could lift it up. And I open it, and it's a ladder. And I was like, all right, this is the adrenaline right now. And I remember going home just puzzled. Why do I need a ladder? You know, what's, what's the use of a ladder? Like, thanks, you know, I, I'd smile about it, but what do I need a ladder for? And then it dawned on me. One day, I'm putting, I'm putting away dishes from the dishwasher, okay? First level of the cabinet's fine. You know where I'm going with this. Second level of the cabinet's fine. But some of us, you're wondering why the builders made a third level of the cabinet, right? And I thought, I got a ladder. This comes in useful. As the years have gone on, I can think of no gift I've ever gotten that I've used more than that ladder. Not just for, for the dishes, okay? Still need it, but anyway... We're going to get our cabinets lowered a little bit. But, I mean, I use it to put up Christmas lights. I use it to trim trees. I use it to clean out the gutters. You name it. That's your salvation. It was not a step one that you just received and then you forget about. This is not a someday salvation. God says you have the salvation because of this Savior that goes with you and goes with you and goes with you. And I'm going to position you with it. 
I'm going to bring you into your purpose with it. You know, I, I'm going I'm to assure you of my promises with it. You name it, the whole five things we said. It is going to be your provision for how you go through life. So, what do you do with all this? I mean, yeah, this is nice to know. I need to shift from do for him to unto you. But what do you do with all this? And I think that's in the very next verse. And I'll wrap up with this. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 17. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Nathan reported to David all the words of this revelation. You have a Nathan in your life? Well, of course, yeah, right now, literally in front of you, okay? But there are not enough hours in the year for you and me to sit down one-on-one and walk through this. See, we all need a Nathan who, who is willing to maybe, if they've, if they've just given us warm fuzzies and niceties and said, yeah, whatever you're thinking, just go ahead and do it. Somebody who's willing to step back and go, oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Here's what God has to say about it. In fact, they might just ask you the three questions that were posed right up, right up top there. Are you the one? Are you the one to do what you're thinking? Number two, is it necessary? I mean, is there a sense that God, is there evidence that God needs this? Or maybe it's somebody who says the third question. Has God commanded this of you? Because the implication of it is you could get running so far down the road with your plan that the the one thing that he promised us will evade you, rest. That we could walk through this entire life and it's not the easy yoke and the light burden. It's the difficult yoke and the heavy burden. And God says, no, 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 I got a bigger plan than that. I am committed to working unto you, into you. So maybe it's somebody who can ask you those questions. Maybe it's somebody that, you know, you don't necessarily, you might avoid them because they often tell you something you don't like to hear. That may very well be the person you need to sit down with. So with that in mind, don't forget this next week as the worship team comes back up, don't forget, I want you to find an enemy this week, okay? Here's how the conversation can go. Look, I don't like you and you don't like me. So let's go to church. We'll go in separate cars, okay? Because God has something to say. He has, he has an unto you to say, not just in our pain, not just in our disrupted plans, but in the middle of our conflict. And he points us at one of the greatest Christmas prophecies in Isaiah in the Old Testament. And so we'll be there next week. Hope you can join us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're reminded that it's peaceful, as peaceful as the accounts of your birth seem to be at first glance. Lord, we're reminded it was in the middle of an absolute mess that you showed up and you said, unto you, this day a Savior is born. And so, Lord, I pray. I pray for those in our congregation, those who are watching online, for those that are carrying Christmas, as we talked about last week, and there's pain and there's burden and there's toil and it's just the fog. Lord, let us be open, our eyes be open unto you. As we look at plans, whether it's literal Christmas plans or as we look across our lives and things just seem to have not turned out the way we imagined, Lord, whisper to us, open our eyes to your unto you. 
wash 2 Samuel chapter 7 over us as we sit with it this week. And Lord, bring to mind, bring to mind somebody, whether they come to church with us or not next week, that we can be thinking about and that you could be preparing our hearts for as we think about conflict, because it's even in the midst of that, while we do everything we can to avoid pain and, and, and derailed plans and conflict, in the midst of all of it, remind us, there's an unto you, a Savior is born. We thank you for your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.